You were listening to episode 129 of the Game Deflators podcast. My name is John. I'm joined by Ryan. Hey, everybody here at the Game Deflators podcast. We like to talk about games we've recently picked up, games we're currently playing, and we absolutely kill it in today's Inflation Deflation Challenge. So uh, this is the first week that we are recording in the new podcast location together, and uh, dude, it's it's gonna be fun. We got to come up with like a good name, like you know, for like our base, our our podcast operation. I, have, I like, do the layer or something. I need to hang up the game deflators. Uh, oh, the thing, sign, the sign. Yeah, I got to put that in the front, kind of make it look hashtag game deflators. Yeah. So uh, up front, of course, if you hear any sort of echo in this recording, apologies. We uh, don't have a whole bunch of stuff up yet in this area, so uh, we'll, we'll hopefully get there pretty soon. Uh, but this week, fun episode. Ryan and I played a little Splatterhouse on the TurboGrafx-16 Mini. And uh, we, of course, got some great articles coming your way this week. So a new way to press the NES controller buttons is shaking up competitive Tetris. Uh, the other article we have is the Queen's Golden Wii is now up for sale. And yes, she had a golden Wii. And it's also kind of weird to just say, I don't know if you if it was in that article or if you read the comments on that one, but they talk about golden Wiis a lot. And, yeah. and I don't necessarily <laughs> think it's related to video games. Uh, and the next article we have is Creepy McDonald's Sega Genesis game Easter egg found after 30 years, and it damn sure was creepy. But as always, let's get started with our pickups. Ryan. Did you pick up anything this week? Uh, I actually, I did, and I forgot to put it on here. I downloaded uh, Horizon Zero Dawn on PlayStation. About damn time. Yeah, because it's got the free for the, uh, what is it? Um, At-home games or something from PlayStation. Is it a new set, or is this just the existing one, and I've just forgotten how long it was going to be live? Uh, Yeah, because it went live on the 24th. Of May? I mean, March? Of April. Oh, April. Oh, April. yeah, yeah, that's yeah. right. And that's then right. I just downloaded it on Thursday, I think. So, I mean, that counts as something new for me. Um, I was very interested in potentially getting something this week. I thought Resident Evil 8 was coming out this week, too. But it's uh, Pokemon came out and what was the other one? Uh, Returnal came out mm-hmm. returnal looks really awesome but hey no ps5 so yeah can't play that well so my pickups this week i finally bit the bullet and purchased a playstation 1 playstation 2 memory card adapter for the playstation 3 so years ago i had lots and lots of good backwards compatible playstation 2 games i was playing like dark cloud was on there i was playing some ps1 games like my final fantasy games are on there as well and uh, pretty much my PlayStation 3 had crapped out, obviously, but I had somebody able to recover all of my memory card files. Like, they reflowed it and such for me. I was like, look, if you can at least reflow to console and do whatever you want, you can keep it for parts. I just want my data. Mm-hmm. And, like, you can keep the console. So they're like, oh, yeah, no problem. So USB drive took all of my PlayStation 1 games, all of my PlayStation 2 save files, put it on that USB drive, and I have not been able to take them off since because I... Every time I try to plug it in via the PlayStation 3, it doesn't do anything in terms of data, and it doesn't help me anyways because I have no way to take the PlayStation 1 and PlayStation 2 data off of the PlayStation 3. So this adapter, what you do is you just kind of plug it in via like standard USB. You put your memory card in the little adapter, and it loads it up to the console itself. So theoretically, I should be able to take all of my PlayStation 1 and 2 data, throw it onto the game's virtual memory, of the PlayStation 2 memory card and PlayStation 1, which would be used for virtual games, and then tie it back into my original memory card via that adapter. Okay. So I might, if all goes well, I might be able to start picking back up on uh, Dark Cloud 2 at some point, as well as the .hack series, because I started on, I think it was Mutation, and I never did get to because my PS3 crapped out in the middle of it. So... That's where we're at on that pickup. So that's pretty cool. That's like a hundred bucks. You know, I did get something else like hardware wise. I didn't even think about it, but I got a portable dock for switch. Oh, interesting. Yeah, so that I don't have to move my dock around my house. So, uh, I got that online. I did a lot of looking around because basically the idea that I wanted to do was like, I've got my portable 
monitor, which is a much bigger display than my switch. And I was like, if I wanted to have like an all in one, like go type of system, like I would like to be able to make like, you know, how they used to have those cases that you could buy that you could like put your PlayStation in or your Xbox in and it had a screen and it just kind of zipped open. Oh yeah. Like, I'd cool. like to be able to try to make my own style of something like that with my portable monitor but that I would be able to use for like any mini consoles and like potentially my switch. And I was like, the dock's going to be huge. So I found a nice little portable mini dock. And apparently there's actually some issues with those online. Like I did a fair amount of research to find this one because apparently you can have issues where they just don't work or they don't provide the right power for the switch. And it like can be detrimental to the system. So um, I don't know. I got that. I haven't used it yet, but I have it. Nice. Well, uh, my other pickup I got this week, and it is currently in the mail, is a sealed copy of Breath of the Wild on the Wii U. So, I'll eventually get it on the Switch because of better graphics, but this is purely on the aspect of it being a Wii U-based game and being able to get a sealed copy while I still can. Wait, you don't have Breath of the Wild? No, I actually don't. Really? Yeah. Oh, wow. So, I never did pick it up on the Switch. I've I'll get it at some point, you know, but I wanted to I don't think that'll ever be hard to get. No, the Wii U version I would anticipate would be hard to get primarily because it was on the Wii U and, you know, yeah, low sales and whatnot. I mean, it's like having a GameCube copy of Twilight Princess. Yeah. Well, dude, those are going for crazy prices now. That's what I'm saying. Like, because everybody's got the Wii version. Yeah, it's insane how much you're going for nowadays. Uh, but yeah, so those are my pickups, dude, this week. Uh, currently playing, of course, I am currently playing house. I'm trying to figure out where the hell things are going in my new household and bringing games up to the loft and everything. And dude, I'm, I mean, you saw it, how that's going to look. That is Twilight Princess on GameCube is $130 complete in box. Yeah. Gee. Yeah. They're going for stupid prices right now on GameCube. I mean, dude, I, I sold copies of that game like several years ago for 50 bucks dang right and like always coming up with those copies but you know we talked about it earlier like that big collection i had back in march even if i would have held out like you know i, I sell games and then buy ones that i want or trade them whatever it may be like everybody you does just it. keep the money moving to acquire new stuff yeah so like at the end of the day like you're I'm not still... like let's hold on to these and wait for the market to cap and then release them yeah like i actively collect so you got to feed it in some way right there's just it's too expensive. You and know, you couldn't too- you couldn't have the space to and like logistics to like be able to hold on, monitor all that stuff, try to release it at exactly the right time. Like a lot of times, like we use price charting and you could see on there how the prices are affected by just like, oh, here's a huge spike where somebody just way overpaid for this one time. You know, like maybe at the time there weren't any on and somebody who isn't regularly a seller of things just put it up there at a high price and somebody jumped on it and you could see like those pings on the charts and how they affect the prices and like when they just drop right back down the next month so it's like it's so hard to be up on that because if you waited and jumped then i mean somebody else might not be willing to pay that now you're dealing with the opportunity loss of how long you've been hanging on to it and what you could have just gotten in the meantime. Well, and here's the thing too to consider is like, you know, I obviously put it into other games. So yeah, say I had a copy of like, you know, a PlayStation one game that I sold at like 90 bucks. And now it's like 160, right? Well, the other games I've been looking at have also gone up in value. Yeah. So it doesn't matter. Like yeah. at the end of the day, like price point wise, it just, it makes zero sense. Like if I would have held on to it, it's like, okay, cool. Like an extra $2,000. Well, guess what? The games that I want are now $2,000 higher. Yeah. So, Net net, it doesn't matter. Now, if I wasn't a collector and I was looking at it from a long term value aspect, like a stock to try and just sell and have that money in my pocket, then sure, you know, like it's, but it, as part of a hobby, it wouldn't make any sense unless I was digging into something that didn't go up in value. But I mean, the way that things are going, everything is going up in value. I mean, flipping PS4 games are going up in value. It's stupid. Like everything is just like dumb right now. Price well, wise. because those are all retro because they're remaking all the PS4 games, <laughs> right? Yeah. Now PS3 games have like skyrocketed. Luckily I picked up a ton of RPGs already on PS3. Very few I don't have. And those that I don't have are not like at this point, astronomical prices are sitting in You've that. You've got those ones already. Yeah. Or the ones that, yeah. And the ones that are like 
decently priced they're still below like what they came out at so mm -hmm. you know if i can pick up an rpg for as long like, as you're paying better than new you're getting a better deal exactly so i'm not too worried about it long term wise and you know more money comes down the pipe as we get older and you know mm -hmm. better jobs and whatnot so be able to purchase more down the road i want to see somebody who has a collection of games that is just like mostly unopened uh, there's actually, so there's, I forgot who it is. Like just a whole cellophane shelf. <laughs> so there's a guy that is on a Facebook group that I'm a part of, and he is trying to collect all the Switch games sealed. So he just, he's just spending all his money on full price Switch games. Basically full price Switch game. Well, no, they're not all full price. They could be discounted. Oh, that's true. So he's basically trying to get a complete library of Switch games sealed, Dang. which is insane when you think about it because of the millions of copies of those games that are coming out, you know, less any sort of indie copies. But I, I think it's crazy, dude. Like, I want to buy games to be able to play them. Now, a sealed Wii U version of Breath of the Wild is more so going to be a down-the-road type of thing because I will play the game. Well, you're That's not going to play every game, and if the value of them sealed, I mean, whole, I mean, it should hold over time, especially for Nintendo games. Like, You'd be honestly better off just buying an extra digital copy of any of the physical games that you've got that you actually want to play. Because, like, you know, I was talking the other day to you about something. But anyways, um, the portability of having the Switch combined with digital games just makes sense. Like, it's way better than having to lug around, like, all your little cartridges. Like, I know a lot of cases have spots. I know they're really tiny. They're not that hard to lug around. But it's nice to just have it there on the system itself. So, like, really, like, you don't need every game. And you're not going to play every game. But the collection will be worth more than you'll have wasted buying the digital versions that you want. Especially because yeah. they have killer digital sales a lot, too. Yeah, they do have some pretty good digital sales. I mean, I pick up my physical games on discount half the time anyways. And... I'm not a sealed collector by all means. There's just a few instances where I'll pick up a sealed game and I'll keep it sealed because why not? Like I have uh, Wild Arms Ultra Coded Up, for example. I have two copies of that game. I have one that's sealed that I picked up years ago for like 80 bucks. And I don't that know one's what mine. It's, I don't know what it's... What's that? He said it's yours. <laughs> yeah, that one's mine. Yeah, that one's yours. And then uh, I have a uh, open copy I picked up in a collection a long time ago. And that one's yours. And my thought was, well, let me just go ahead and keep this open copy because I want to play this game at some point. But why would I rip open a cellophane for this other you yeah. know, copy that I've had for years? And I've had a, a few other games that I've picked up sealed because they were cheap and I knew they would go up in price at some point. Uh, what is it? Pandora's Tower, I think, on the Wii U is one of them. Or, yeah, I think it's Pandora's Tower or, or another game of that nature. But I picked up several games on the Wii or on the Wii a long time ago, not with you. And they were like 10 bucks for a sealed copy. So why not? You know? Yeah. So that's kind of where I was at with all that. But yeah, so those are my pickups and uh, currently playing, uh, of course, house, like I said, and trying to get things organized. But what are you playing right now? So I've been playing more monster hunter rise. Monster hunter rise is good. Um, I finally did a second, uh, rampage thing. And I'm, t I'm just not convinced that that is the game mode that is, going to push monster hunter into the mainstream like i said last week like i've only played a few monster hunters so i don't really know all the like gimmick things that they've tried to make happen in all the different games but this is one i think that they could definitely move past and the next monster hunter will have some new idea of what's gonna make it but like this game is already selling gangbusters it's doing super well it's probably going to be like the best selling capcom game ever and the best monster hunter game selling ever like I've got high hopes for it. I heard that they were just doing um, like an update already with like new monsters and stuff and new like ranked missions. And it's like, I'm not even close to getting into high rank or anything. So I've got a long way to go on that. Um, I've been playing a lot more dual blade instead of my charge blade just because it's like. I don't know. The charge blade can be really technical and sometimes like I want to just go in and chop stuff up. And it, it's fun. Uh, other than that, I also started playing Mario Odyssey. Actually doing my uh, new game's resolution this year. And I'm hoping that I'll be able to run off the steam from doing Mario and go straight back into Persona 4. I've got, you know, uh, 
how long? Seven months left now. I think I could do both in seven months. I'm on like the second world of Mario Odyssey already. Like the wood robot world is pretty cool. I just want to set expectations now. I'm not going to get every power moon. I'm not going to buy every outfit. I'm not going to do everything. I'm going to get through Mario Odyssey because I always wanted to play it and I will play it. Get through the ending. I will roll credits. I will have people know. How many if, moons do I need to roll credits? If if you go through and listen to maybe like Game Deflators podcast episode, like, I don't know, 100, 105, around that area, you'll also hear Ryan say, I got plenty of time to beat Persona. We've got, yeah, you know, five, six months, you know, to go ahead and beat it. Oh, look, I've got, you know, two months to beat it. Oh, look, 30 days. I got to yeah. hammer out however many hours. Yep. We're going to see how this actually I did the math. Out. I could have done it, but I chose not to. Yeah, you chose not to. You got to beat it this year. I will. That is, you have to be, and you still have your punishment that I have to do. Yep. You got to play Blue's Clues for one hour. Yeah. I, I might even stream it. That actually might be pretty good oh uh, content for our podcast. Put right. it on Facebook and Twitter. You playing some. I don't that's... think anybody wants to watch that. If you are listening, let us know somewhere out there on the social media at uh, Game Deflators on twitter at the game deflators on instagram and facebook uh leave a five-star comment and be like hey you know what you guys are awesome i don't want to watch brian plays blues clues nobody wants to watch that no no you what you guys need to do is put hashtag ryan plays blues clues that's the new hashtag we got to get that trending and uh we'll have i'll bring my handy dandy notebook if that's what you guys want he does actually have a handy dandy notebook i do i will bring that up uh, but yeah, so if you were listening to this podcast episode on your favorite podcast application and you're not happy with that podcast app, check us out on other podcast apps, uh, Apple podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, uh, podcast addict, Castbox. I mean, what John's trying to say is that there's a anyway. real chance if you don't like the podcast, it's the application's fault. It is. It really <laughs> is. And you should leave a five-star review regardless. Okay. Uh, dude, we haven't done trivia in so long. We're not doing trivia again this week. Dude, I think we could just kiss trivia goodbye. I don't think we were ever very good at it. I don't think it's a missed segment. Uh, I don't think anybody ever was like, dude, would not subscribe except for the trivia. Hey, you know what? We could have lost some subscribers since then because of the trivia not being here. I've seen other podcasts. Shout out to Dad and Sons. They used to do like some trivia stuff. And there's always like they're trying to roll through and find that extra little segment thing to pop in because it's like you know the gen i mean that's what we talk about you know the you know games we've recently picked up games we're currently playing i don't talk about those all the time <laughs> uh, and then we go into the news and then we do the inflation deflation but everybody's always trying to get that extra one more little segment in there and i don't think trivia is it for us yeah it'll have to be like ryan's, we can do better for the people we can probably do ryan's corner and it'll just be about what ryan's doing instead of playing his video games oh right uh, reading berserk now i've uh, i've actually started reading uh kimetsu no yaiba or demon slayer mm -hmm. the manga because i saw you saw the movie right? i saw the movie and i thought the movie was really good uh there is one giant thing that i don't like that they did in the movie spoilers for the movie john are you interested in demon slayer do you care if no, i say this I, at all i don't here? care say what you want okay so i like inosuke he's really cool he's the guy with the boar head if you've ever seen anything of demon slayer um but zenitsu who's the yellow hair guy he gets like these crazy like lightning swordsman powers when he's asleep and a giant chunk of this movie is that the bad guy puts people to sleep and so the guy that gets super strong when he's asleep is not like he's so in the background in this movie they put the other guy who does not get superpowers when he's asleep and is also not the main character is the runner-up guy in this one and it's like why wouldn't you use Zenitsu? Why would you make this like an Inosuke, like as the backup guy thing? Because the movie would end too soon. It just, it, it bugs me, but I really like it. I'm hoping that I'll get through the manga and it'll like maybe change things or make more sense or something. Um, but Demon Slayer is, I think like still, I think they're at like 250 chapters Jeez. or something like that. Oh, the manga itself. Yeah. But, um, the movie is at like chapter 53. So that's a pretty easy read to get caught up to compared to like the hundreds of chapters of 
One Piece I've read and the hundreds of chapters of Berserk I've read. Like, I want to try to get current on those, but those are so long running. Like, I don't want to keep just reading those. So once I hit like an arc ending point, I'll kind of jump to something else. And I'd like to expand my reading into more stuff. Like, everybody keeps talking about Jujutsu no Kaisen is, or Jujutsu Kaisen is really good. Dude, I have not picked up a manga in years. And in fact, I offered you all of my manga a long time ago. And you're like, nah, I don't want it. So I had to send it to Goodwill. Oh, well, I just wouldn't. I've got one manga series. I have Love Hina that I bought when I was in like high school. I had the... That's the only manga series I own. Yeah, I had Orphan, the anime video game. I remember seeing that video game on the shelf all the time and never wanting to actually buy it. Yeah, I want to buy it again. I haven't... Actually, I might have bought it already. I don't know. I got to check. I can never find a complete box copy of it. Uh, but either way, I had that. I had some Death Note and a whole bunch of other things. But yeah, I know you guys didn't want it. So I was like, eh, Goodwill it is. Goodwill. Uh, but that's Ryan's Corner. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, articles We this need week. a song transition. <laughs> Ryan's Corner. Uh, a new way to press NES controller buttons is shaking up competitive Tetris. This is by Matthew Gaunt of Vice. Galt. Galt. Got. Whatever it is. These, let me just heads up, these were all very interesting articles today. Like, these were just kind of surprise pulls that I managed to find and I didn't know too much about, but I had seen a couple of these headlines. This one was so interesting. So in this Vice article, there is also an embedded YouTube video by... A Game Scout. And it's realistically that's lowercase what, a. That is Game what Scout. you should be watching is that. The article itself. It's kind of a summation of it. But I mean, yeah. you know, credit where credit's due. We read the article. We watched the embedded video in the article. I don't think that those are the same person, but I didn't find out what a Game Scout's real name was in his video, so I'm not sure. But uh he seems to be somebody that's up on Tetris stuff. And this is all about competitive Tetris, which is a niche community that I don't know anything about, but I'm definitely going to learn a little bit more about after this. So apparently when you play professional Tetris, like the most important thing is getting your blocks in place as fast as possible. And there's several methods for doing this. There is... Um, DAS method. The DAS method, which is a way where you can like program through like holding a button on the controller that the block either shoots all the way to the left side or all the way to the right side of the screen when it begins dropping and kind of like hangs for a sec. So it's like gives you an advantage that way to position. And then the other very popular one was hyper tapping, which is just people that are superhuman mutants that have the ability to move their fingers in the ways that quick time events think everybody can. And they could just tap so fast that they could just blow DAS players out of the water. Like it used to be DAS was the number one. And then hyper tapping is now like super popular and people that can do it are like winning. And now this is a new method, a third method that might even the playing fields where instead of tapping the controller buttons really fast with just your like one finger and doing the same motion all over, you position the controller in a way where you have your stationary hand on top and you can push the button with that. But instead what you do is roll your fingers on the back and just kind of like tap the back of the controller with all of your fingers, forcing the controller up into your stable hand on top and turning the entire controller into the button you're pushing. And it's, uh, it's just a way to use the you know, a better surface area to pressing method that yeah. apparently most people would be able to do with practice. Yeah. So basically the entire video goes into this whole process, like the third play style of Tetris into this rolling method, uh, which is typically done in arcade machines and such uh, because of the larger buttons. But uh, yeah, it was super cool. And then it's actually, I guess a younger guy or kid or something that actually yeah. started doing this. And uh, it's actually pretty interesting. Like seriously, watch the video and check it out. I mean, I, I'm not like I play Tetris and I enjoy it, but I don't get super competitive with it and never tried to get yeah. competitive with it. But this actually got me to a point where I'm like, I kind of want to jump in on this. That's kind of cool. Yeah. This. It's yeah. like when you see a speed runner and you're like, I want to try that. I could do, I could at least get under a 10 minute Mario and that would be interesting. 
Like well, how many people could say that they can do even that, even if it's not impressive to people in the community? Yeah. And you know, what's really interesting is when you're watching a video and it's like the first time that he unveils it in competition mm -hmm. and it's just like, Whoa, what the heck? Yeah, like, cause he's, he's just blowing people out of the water and they can't even compete. That's one of those things, man, that if I was a competitive player, I wouldn't like release my secret of that. I would just like keep winning tournaments, you know? Well, I know that they're on camera and they have to show like what they're doing. So there's no modified controller, but if you're fast enough at oh, yeah. it and like, don't give away your secret, yeah. I mean, that'd be pretty cool. I mean, there's so many things like that. Like, I know that uh, I got really into watching uh, that one guy's uh, Summoning Salt speedrun compilation videos where he talks about, like, the history of speedrunning and talks about, like, how, you know, a lot of times the ways, like, to break through records is to work as a community and, you know, let those secrets get out there because then other people will be able to push the envelope in ways that you haven't thought of and it opens it up and eventually you can learn those tricks from other people and as long as everybody's competing with all the knowledge the times keep getting faster but some people are so good that they can basically hold all the records themselves because they've got techniques yeah and then i also heard this reminded me of uh i was listening to dad and son's podcast on the way over here and they were talking about an article uh that was referencing another podcast joe rogan podcast had some mma guy on there who like when he was competing like a while ago, or I don't know if he currently had it, but like he was having somebody look at the frame data from him and his opponents and actually trying to see like who he could just like frame time out with certain hits to get an advantage on like people. And it actually led him to like victory and stuff. And it's like, I'd never heard of somebody using like video game like fighting frame data analysis on real life fights to just be like dude you outframe him on your jab just keep jabbing him and you'll outframe him every time and turn real life into a video game blood sport it's insane dude it actually makes you wonder like on the competitive scene like do people watch like tape on one another and you know all i mean guys? you always know about like watching do. tape like sports have always done that but analyzing the frame data yeah. to like time out reaction timing on a human as opposed to just a game character competitive game Crazy. it's all on a separate level dude like it's insane but yeah so check out this article it was pretty cool um it was an okay read but the video is really where you want to it's just cool to it. see what other niche communities are out there and like how people are doing games i mean like we're trying to do our podcast with you know the idea of collecting in mind but like i love learning about new or not new but like well-established groups that you just who knew what the world of competitive Tetris was like? I knew it was high scores. I didn't know it had techniques and like superhuman abilities and outside the box controller skills. Uh, dude, don't get me started on like competitive TVs as well, man. Like you remember at um, Game on Expo, like they had like the, uh, it wasn't record setting, but you could time yourself like on various games that they had set up. I don't remember if you saw that booth or not, but mm -mm. they had like all of these old style, like old TVs that were utilized for like competitions and such. And uh, it's just insane, like, people finding, like, the perfect TV to be able to play their game. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's weird. Um, okay, so next we've got the Queen's Golden Wii is now up for sale, priced at $300,000. This is by Yinpool at Eurogamer. And uh, I cannot get past the fact that it's a Golden Wii. Like, I just can't. But, you know, this article, the way it kind of details it is it was a gift for the Queen, but she actually rejected it. So uh, this company that was making a video game out in England was like, hey, we're making this game. We're UK-based. We're super proud of it. We want to give the queen a golden Wii. And so it just sounds so weird when you say it. And so they got a golden Wii. Can't imagine Wii and, why she turned it down. Yeah, I can't imagine. So apparently the queen likes to play Wii Sports, but she didn't like playing Wii Sports on a golden Wii. And uh, so, yeah, she rejected it. And it ended up in the hands of this collector who has now decided that he wants to move on to bigger and better things such as buying a house and he's decided he wants to sell it for the price of $300,000. Um, I know you were asking me earlier if I felt that that was the right price and dude, I mean, in my mind, like it depends on how it's made, right? Like if it's just like golden color or if it has some sort of like, um, you know, engraving in it, whatever it may be, like it depends on what's in this thing. But at the end of the day, I mean, this it's is still just a week. It's still a week. 
and but it was a weave specifically for the queen. It's only one of a kind. Yeah, it should be just one of a kind. It was made by this one specific organization to try and give to the queen. So like if I do wonder like if this was in the queen's possession at some point in time, then it maybe, may have changed. Yeah, it may have changed the value a little bit more if it somehow got into a private collector. But you know, I think three hundred thousand. I mean, this is a set your own price type of market for something like this. You know, it's it, the queen still rejected it. I mean, this was supposed to be in her possession. This is like the story behind it of, hey, this was a gift for the queen, and she was like, no, I don't want it. Like that in itself is pretty cool. Yeah. Um, I was watching a video uh, yesterday. Did you know gaming did a gaming's rarest consoles? And I I don't think that this was on there. I don't know that I finished the whole video. But like the, the prices that they were talking on there were expensive. But I mean like expensive in like the – I think the most expensive one I heard they talked about was like $2,500 or something. Like, you know – under four thousand dollars under five thousand dollars under ten thousand dollars like for sure but like three hundred thousand dollars like i like how he set the price as like well you know i think that uh somebody should be able to buy it like it just he didn't want to price it out of like reason or obtainability i think that three three hundred thousand dollars is out of reason but not out of obtainability. Somebody could buy that. It's not like you're asking a million dollars for it. Yeah, and here's the thing, though. Like, this isn't a Nintendo PlayStation where you've got, like, two working or whatever, or however the hell it works in existence. Like, we talked about this a long time ago. This is a Wii. It's just, it happens to be gold and for the queen. Yeah. So, I mean... You could make one for less than $300,000. Yeah. And that's, I think, Could you where make a solid gold one for less than 300000 Probably. No. I Not mean, solid, but, like, instead of just gold-plated, like, could you print all the parts that are plastic out of gold? Oh, I see what you're saying. I mean, it depends. Like, gold is super soft anyways, but, I mean, what's the price of gold? Like, four or $5,000 an ounce? So, however many ounces a Wii is, minus the components, I mean, maybe. Maybe get it for less. I mean, you'd be looking at a pound of gold would be... What is that? Sixty, seventy thousand dollars? I don't even know, dude. Like, yeah, we'd have to look at the price of gold and do a conversion on that. That's just not something top of my mind. But yeah, I think you could probably, ideally, you could probably get all the plastic components, like you're saying, make the controller shell because you're just looking at the shell piece and plate it out at less than three hundred k. I don't see how you wouldn't be able to do that. Uh, but yeah, dude. Like, like I said, at the end of the day, this is technically one of a kind, but at the same time, it is just a shell. And I think there are better options out there for like collectors that are looking for this type of memorabilia than a gold-plated Wii that was meant for the queen. With the fact that she never actually had it in her possession fully, it was just a, I don't want it, let's return it situation. Are you looking up the cost of gold right now? Yes. Oh my God. Well, I mean, we'd have to figure out what the so weight So there's 16 of- ounces in a pound, yeah. and gold is $1,768 an ounce. Oh, yeah, that's not bad. It's $16,000 for a pound, roughly. So, I mean, if you could make the shell of a Wii out of a pound of gold, you got yourself a three or no, a $240,000 discount on what this guy's trying to sell. Is- I mean, you could send it to the queen with a return envelope and basically get the same story. Yeah, you could. <laughs> uh, you know... I mean, this is probably something R. Kelly would say, but golden Wii's for everybody. Uh, You know, everybody can have a golden Wii now. All right. Uh, (laughs) So messed up. Okay, so uh, article number three this week. Creepy McDonald's Sega Genesis game Easter egg found after 30 years. And this is uh, Brittany Rostin, I think I could see there. Dude, my eyesight's so terrible. At Slash Gear. Did Mm -hmm. I actually get that from this distance? I gotta get new contacts in. Uh, But, okay, so this is basically... Uh, is it the creator of the game years ago was saying, hey, there's, an e- there's several Easter eggs that are still up for grabs. So yeah, they've been teasing this for a while and just being like, hey, you guys haven't discovered every single Easter egg in this game. Well, somebody finally did. And it's fucking creepy. It's bizarre. Dude. It is so creepy. So uh, you put in like a code or whatever at the front screen on the McDonald's sign uh, of this game. So anybody that doesn't know McDonald's Treasure Land or Treasure Island, Treasure Land, I think, is fairly rare i guess or just uncommon and it's a side scroller with ronald mcdonald and you click stuff 
Like, it's actually pretty weird. I played this in Michael Jackson's Moonwalker years ago when I had ROMs. And I actually had a lot of fun with this game, funny enough. But yeah, so you put in this code and it turns a McDonald's sign into like 3D, like a 3D morphs and like all these different shapes. And at it some makes point, it into like just uh, like you can interact with like a 3D, like either version of the sign or just a box or like there's a spaceship in there and uh, the Sega, Sega logo. logo in there. Yeah. And it's not necessarily the logo and all that kind of shifting that's creepy. It's the music behind it. So when you click the link for this article, which will of course have linked in the podcast description and our website at thegameinflators.com, uh, you can actually just watch this video and just as you listen to this music, it's creepier and creepier. It's like this horror synthetic type of like music that's going as a shape moves and uh, it's just super awkward, dude. And I mean, that was the first thing I watched this morning. And I was just like, this is too damn creepy. And it's like two and a half minutes. It's like minutes. something from a YouTube like Petscop or something. It's like you went off the deep end of YouTube or down the rabbit hole of YouTube. And what it, what is it what's called? Like the dark side of YouTube where you just like find all this random crap? Uh, yeah, something like a rabbit hole. Yeah, like I, it's, it's one of those types of things. Uh, but definitely check that out. And uh, they also, one of the funny things that I, when I was reading this was like, can you imagine if you were a kid and you found this Easter egg, like how creeped out you would have been initially with this music and this logo churning around to be like, yeah, I want to play this McDonald's game again. And on top of that, it's a flipping McDonald's game. So this is meant to be like kid friendly and fun. So this is just like, I straight up thought that we were going to see like the logo turn into a balloon and float away like it, <laughs> and like Ronald McDonald is going to come on I know, screen. At one point it was like behind the clouds that were in the background. And I was like, how does that even work? Yeah. It, it's weird. Uh, but yeah, what are your thoughts on it? Uh, I mean, like I said, I think this is something that it looks like you'd see as like a, like a creepy pasta or something. Yeah. It's, it's off. It's very off putting. Okay. Uh, let's get into the funnest part of this week, and that is Splatterhouse on the TurboGrafx-16. Uh, so this is developed by Namco, published by Atari, and I can barely see it. I'm the thinking, designer was Akira Usakura. Oh, man, I would have said that too because I was looking right at it and I thought I had it. Uh, and it was released in February of 1989. It is a beat-em-up, and it is in the 8-ish range in terms of overall reception. There's so. there's a bunch of different versions and like the Turbo Graphics wasn't on the ratings, but the PC Engine was, and that was about an eight. Yeah, which is fine. Um, so what are your thoughts, man? You hadn't played a Turbo Graphics game. Never played a Turbo Graphics game. Uh, you know, I'm not the best at beat 'em ups, or do I have the most experience with them? But this was awesome. I had such a good time. Uh, the aesthetics of this game are through the roof. It reminds me of um, what was the the monster game that we played on Super Nintendo? Oh man! Oh monster! No, that was the Nintendo Monster in My Pocket. Oh, yeah, Monster in My Pocket. Yeah, yeah it kind of reminds me of that. Like, I like a game where you're like a classic mon- movie kind of monster person as the main character because it's just so contrary and it's that perfect thing that video games do where they can put you in the shoes of you know an out of the norm character and uh i thought the the music was great i thought the levels were like uh cool and interesting even though they were just you know a relentless forward pace they did have like a oh if you fall through here you'll go to a different part of the level that takes a little longer and is a little more dangerous but if you're good with your timing you can stay up here and kind of breeze through uh, it was very generous with its like save points and continues and how much life and how many hits. Like this was one of those games that felt very beatable and very playable. And like if I had access to playing this, would go back and go through and try to beat at some point. Like definitely one of my favorite games that we've done. Uh, I mean, this year so far, maybe one of my favorite inflation, deflation challenges we've done in general, uh, had no idea going in what this was like or about or anything, but very impressed. This was more so decided on the fact that I haven't fully unpacked and I had the mini consoles out and was like, let's just play Splatterhouse. Eventually we will play Evil Dead for the Xbox. I don't even think we said to people that we were playing Evil Dead, but now I'm sure we did. Well, we're going to play Evil Dead on Xbox at some point. Uh, once I get everything unloaded. 
Uh, but yeah, so Splatterhouse actually had a physical complete inbox copy. I sold it a while back, probably during its peak, actually. Um, and I played a little bit of it to test it, of course, within the Turbo Graphics that I did have, and actually ended up selling the Turbo Graphics as well. Dude, that was like, that was insane. I think I bought like the Turbo Graphics, a PC Engine uh, Duo. It was actually a Turbo Graphics Duo. Uh, PC Engine, and then another Turbo Duo from Japan. Uh, most of these were not tested except for the Turbo Graphics or Turbo Duo that was complete in box. Sold that with the Splatterhouse and all the other stuff. I mean, I think I paid like 500 bucks. In fact, I was on the phone with you discussing that. I think like when I was out in route to go pick this up, I'm like, dude, should I pick it up? I'm not sure. Oh, yeah. like, I think it's going to be like a hard thing for me to try and just like get rid of down the road. And I don't even know if it works and it's just high risk. I think I ended up tripling my money on that and putting it towards other games that I actually wanted to play. And one of the things I bought with that money was a TurboGrafx. The TurboGrafx 16 Mini. Yeah, which was like, I have to play this. I'll break it at some point. Yep. There is like a Turbo Graphics or Turbo Duo type of thing that's supposed to be getting released like third party wise that'll play like the CDs. So okay. I have kept a couple like obscure RPGs uh, that I want to play on that at some point. So I don't want to sell those if I can play them on gotcha. the console. So I might pick one of those up down the road. They're like 300 bucks, so a little more affordable than a complete in-box Turbo Duo and new, so I don't have to worry about components and such going out. Uh, but yeah, so I tested this game out a while back. I enjoyed the little bit of testing I did, so it was the first thing in mind on playing. And I got to say, man, I was not disappointed. This was a fantastic game. I had actually never played one of the Splatterhouse games outside of that testing. And I had a blast, dude. We got through, what, like the fifth stage yeah. on our first playthrough, which having never played it... And trading really... back and forth, so it wasn't like one person would get better faster yeah. not having to trade off because they'd get all the experience from each run. Yeah, so trading off or anything. I think this is a game that I will go back and replay, similar to like what I did with Wolfchild. The controller's great, too. Well, yeah, Ryan loves it because it's only two buttons. Yeah, God. So much better. Yeah, there is a splatter There's house. sliders on there, so I don't know. That's a little sketchy. We'll just leave those sliders alone. I was like, maybe those are turbo buttons. And he's like, well, that would make sense for the turbo graphics. Uh, so. <laughs> no, Ryan, it's not the turbo button 16. It's the turbo graphics 16. The graphics are turboed. The gra <laughs> I mean, I don't know enough about the console in general to be like, yeah, like this is a, the best game on the console. And like, this is how you collect for it. And it's there's not a whole lot of experience here because it just wasn't a game console. Like I was too young to really appreciate this console when it came out. Otherwise maybe I would have been a collector of it. This was one of those experiences that it's like when you sit around and you talk about going back and playing old games, this is one of the good times where like you go, you play something. It just works right away because obviously we're playing on like newer technology. Uh, you know, everything just, is fine you know the controller's new and feels good it's got no stickiness or anything to it like this was like the perfect like what you picture going back and playing an old retro game and having a really good time and being like man games were so cool back then and they i see where this really went like this was awesome sometimes it's not so much sometimes you go to bayou billy that actually oh my god bayou billy was that was a hard game dude i want to beat that though it was it was actually kind of fun like it wasn't that bad but in comparison to just how breezy and fun and what a great time we had with this. Yeah. Yeah, this was great. And uh, to echo your point, man, the music was fantastic. The controls were super fluid. Uh, the enemies themselves were... Creative. Yeah, creative. Different. It's Mr. always cool, this horror movie style. High-pitched chainsaw hands yeah. guy. Like, <laughs> that was actually pretty fun. The rock techniques. Yeah. <laughs> we developed our oh. own technique for defeating a boss. Oh, my God. So Ryan's like, maybe it's like David and Goliath. And we grab the rock, and it's just a one-hit kill. I'm like, yeah, it's worth trying. So I'm like picking up a rock, go to the shotgun, drop the rock, pick up the shotgun, drop the rock. And guys were... juggled them forward we, through the level. Juggled them forward till he had the extra hit with a weapon <laughs> through the rock, got the shotgun, hit the chainsaw guy a few times, and had enough life to spare to where I could get hit with the chainsaws. The rock made all the difference. The rock did make the difference. I mean, well, I mean, technically, we only had like... Two hits left. Two hits left. But he and, could like do two hits like super quick. Yeah, so, well, I think it, it frames out so you don't get hit twice like that. You just get the one hit and he can chainsaw you like four times so you fade back in. Yeah. But I mean, yeah, the rock made a difference, dude, for sure. Uh, so that was a lot of fun playing that. And then, of course, that water level, jumping over to various... Uh, bomb type things or spikes in the water and then like punching the ghouls that are jumping the out jump the felt good in this game like yeah. i felt like i was like in control of the the timing and the arc and everything it felt good 
Yeah, and the weapon mechanics were cool. I mean, we we only got obviously like stage four or five in this one, but I think it was a lot of fun. The the haunted like room, the haunted room was a cool boss. That really was like I when we got through, I'm like, what the hell is this? Like we're getting killed by candles. Like yeah. in fact, the first time we went up, a candle fell on us and we died. And we're like, okay, I guess we dodge <laughs> these things. And yeah, you had the knives floating around. You had the picture frame going, and then we knew the damn chandelier was going to do yep. something. So if you ever play this game. The chandelier in that boss level does fall at some point, so stay away from it, uh, If you, especially if you've only got one heart left. Oh, and of course, the hearts being like actual hearts. Yeah, they're like... Is actually like pretty badass. Real anatomy hearts. Yeah, I enjoyed this. This was really cool, dude. So it's definitely one of my favorites. Uh, now let's let's get the brass tax, though, man. So, uh, Complete inbox. We've got $99. Uh, that peaked at $120.28 back in October of 2020. Uh, loose... Oh, and that price is kind of leveling out now. It's kind of come down since then. Uh, loose, we're looking at eighty-two twenty-nine. That's peaking right now in May of twenty twenty-one, and it's going straight up. Like, either somebody just paid an outrageous amount of money for this, and we'll kind of see it balance out over the next few months too, or you should have bought this game last month. Yeah. And then, of course, you've got the uh, most expensive version, right? Complete in box, copy of the PC Engine at one twenty-eight eighty-eight, and the cheapest version is a loose copy on the Famicom. Uh, I don't have a Famicom, but I have a Super Famicom, uh, so we'll see if we can get that at some point uh, loaded up. But yeah, so I think price point wise, I mean, it's it's one of those like what are they like VC cards? I think is what they're called. I don't, I don't know too much about the Turbo Graphics, but there's like a, a card that you insert uh, within the Turbo Graphics itself, like a, it's like a giant chip, and you throw that in there, and then you have CD versions of games as well. Um, for the Turbo Duo, of course. And I would say that at 99 bucks, given the cost of the Splatterhouse games on other consoles, this actually does seem just about right in terms of price point for what it is in a console that it's on. So, I mean, if you are a, if you know of TurboGrafx, you know that a lot of the games are actually fairly pricey on that console. And I think this is actually, it might be one of the more bargain games to get on the console at 99 bucks complete in box. I think it's worth it. And in fact, I would say it's deflated based on that, you know? I, I don't know that I would go out of my way to like buy a turbo graphics console and buy the game and controller and get all of that set up and of course recapping the console as well to make sure it'll last for several years uh, to try and play this game. I don't think it's worth 99 at that point. but I think if you already have the console, 99 bucks is like a drop in a bucket compared to a lot of games. And uh, then especially complete in box. Yeah and then on the other side of the fence, uh, they don't have the Turbo Graphics 16 minis like as an in-stock item in stores, but on Amazon, uh, ten left, price two fifty. So I mean, for buying Splatterhouse on its own for a hundred bucks, you throw an extra hundred and fifty in there, and you get all the different games on the mini console. Like, I mean, knowing where I'm at in my stage, and like not being like a collector and not being able to afford getting into like something old school, like. Uh, PC Engine or Turbo Graphics, like the mini console is definitely the route that I would take. And the mini console is awesome. And it has its own collectability. The mini console itself has around, I think it's like 30 PC Engine games in there. So you get a lot of Japanese games. Uh, and then you also have the Turbo Graphics part of it. So you really get two consoles in one on this bad boy. And it's awesome, dude. Like I have a lot of fun with it. Controller feels great. This is probably one of my favorite mini consoles out of all of the ones that have been released. This is by far my favorite. Mm-hmm. Um, but that said, uh, where are you at total-wise? I mean, are you on inflated, deflated, just right? I mean, a hundred bucks. If you already had the console. I mean, if you already had the console, then yeah, it's definitely worth getting because you're a collector and you want it. So I guess paying more would be worse. <laughs> I don't know. It's it's hard for me to not call it inflated just because it is so expensive. And I mean, like, really, it, when you could get the whole mini console for 250 and a bunch of other games and probably have a much easier experience, I, I think I am going to go with this being inflated. As much as it's a great game, I don't think it's a good deal. So we're opposite sides of the fence this week. So if we average it out, we'll say it's just right. Yeah. 
I guess that's where we're at with this one. I you might so. want to mark that one down. Yep, uh, I got a, a spot on the thing. Spot on the thing. So, uh, Veta's review of the Turbo Graphics. Of course, grab the Mini if you can, and you can afford it at 250 or whatever third-party market rate is right now. I don't think Konami's making any more of these, so this is definitely going to be one that's hard to pick up. Uh, and I really wish I would have picked up two <laughs> now that I look at it. Because they were about $100 at that point in time uh, when they were new. And that was last year they were going for about 100 bucks. Uh, but that being said, next week we are going to be playing or reviewing Ninja Gaiden on the NES Mini. So I don't think I've played the NES Mini on several occasions, but we haven't really talked about it on the podcast. So it'll be nice to do like a quick comparison on the two mini consoles as well, of course, uh, both the TurboGrafx Mini and uh, this one, the I NES. Mean, when you're moving, it's like, you know, you don't have your cable set up and your internet set up. So it's like you wind up having like, that DVD set of scrubs that you watch every time you move. And, you know, you could play your Switch if you got it out or your Game Boy or something. But, like, as far as, like, setting up and sitting down and playing, like, some, you know, online games on PlayStation until you get that internet up and running, what are you going to do, dude? You're going to bust out these old classic consoles and have all the choice and just plug it in and you're ready to go. Oh, yeah, it's been great, man. Don't just have like... to unpack all your discs and find everything. These are, we're moving these weeks. We got moving consoles, movable consoles. I will say that the internet was the first thing I actually booted up in this house. Like I literally had it like internet was being turned on V day of, like it was supposed to go on and uh, like the day of moving and it didn't work uh, for whatever reason. So I had to call them out and have them rewire and do all this other BS, but they finally got it. And then I was able to hook up my computer and of course record episodes with you. Uh, but dude, like all of the video game stuff, like the mini consoles, podcast stuff was like in those couple Lowe's boxes and I was like, this is not losing my, like, I'm going to yeah. have this in one spot. As soon as we're done moving like this, I know where this goes yeah. because of that. There's no mystery box openings. Yeah. And generally when you hire movers, you don't want to put like what something is. So all of those game boxes, like I just opened a, a box that I thought was books and I open it up and it's a Sega CD. Nice. Like <laughs> and a whole bunch of random ass games. So in fact, I think it's Sega games that are in there. Um, But yeah, you don't want to mark stuff up when you got movers. And now it's like a, Let's see what we can find in all the boxes game. It's interesting. Uh, but, dude, I think this was a fun week. I, I enjoyed finally getting back in person and record an episode. It's been like almost a month since we could actually record in person. And this was definitely the, the best way to kick it off of this game. Yeah, this was great. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, this has been episode 129 of the Game of Players podcast. My name's John. I'm Ryan. And thanks for listening. 